As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder post-USMNT Mexico edition I am Sam Stasekul, joined by my colleagues, colleagues, plural, Paul Tenorio and Felipe Cardenas. We are here in Mexico City. We were at the Azteca. We have all filed our stories that will be up at some point on The Athletic. Um, And we're here to talk about the match. 0-0 draw between the Americans and the Mexicans. Um, A good point for the USMNT. A not-so-good point, I think, for Mexico from an emotional standpoint. Fuera Tata chance ringing around the Azteca at the final whistle. So uh, the perspective is a little bit different on both sides of the coin and of the rivalry here. Um, But both sides are in good position to qualify. They're now both on 22 points. Uh, The U.S. is ahead on the goal difference. And thanks to Honduras, who drew against Panama earlier in the evening on Thursday, um, both are in a really, really strong position to book a place in guitar on Sunday. The U.S. taking on Panama, of course, and Mexico playing El Salvador. No, not El Salvador. Honduras, I believe. Um, apologies there for the verbal typo. Um, so, yeah, the game itself, frankly, wasn't that sexy. Wasn't that great. Great of soccer. It was frenetic. It was kind of a mess. Um, not super duper interesting. The U.S. had two huge chances. Mexico had a series of kind of half chances and long distance shots, um, but not really a ton in this, in my opinion, apart from those two huge looks. Um, but let me throw it to you guys. I've been talking enough to start this show. Um, Paul, I'll start with you. What'd you make of the game? Yeah, I think it was overall, I don't disagree with the assessment from the U.S. players, Christian Pulisic and Giorena and Greg Berhalter afterwards, which was that it was a positive performance from the U.S. in general, like in totality. I think that if you give Christian Pulisic that same opportunity that he had 10 times, he probably scores it 7 out of 10 times. He didn't score it tonight. If you give Jordan P. Falk that chance in Switzerland, he scores it most of the time. In the national team... Maybe less so, but it was a pretty darn good opportunity to win the game at the Azteca. And I think if he had if he had scored that goal, which he should have done, the US I mean that was an un, unbelievable bad miss. Yes, like, it was not good. I can't. Did it? Did it go out for a throw-in? I think it did. Like and we were sitting up there in the press box, and it was just like 
It did not what, go out for a throw. But I, I went and rewatched a replay from another angle because we were pretty high up. He just completely mishit the ball. It was it was a really 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 poor attempt, um, and from from an angle and with the type of cushioned ball from Giorena that shouldn't have led to that type of contact. So I don't know, man. I look at it and I think, yeah, the U.S. probably can say that they should have won the game or could have won the game. I think that it says something about this U.S. team that late in the game when they're right back, the only right back on the roster because Reggie Cannon has COVID, was cramping up and they needed to make a change. They brought in a center back making his World Cup qualifying debut at the Azteca to play right back. And they brought in another center back and it forced them out of the things that they were doing well, but they found a way to survive. And that, I think, speaks to a bit of the resilience of this team, which is what I wrote about. You know, for me, this team has found ways to step up in the moments when they've needed it the most. That doesn't mean they're perfect, right? Some of those responses are too bad performances, losing to Panama, losing to Canada, but they bounced back from the, both of those down moments with wins. They bounced back from the first half in Honduras to win that game on the road. And I thought tonight was another sign that, you know, they have the ability to step up and, and find ways to get results in key moments. And, and they'll have two more tests of that, that theory uh, in the next five days. Felipe, what about you? What do you think about this from from the perspective of both teams? You know, you cover Mexico for the athletics, so you have some expertise there, but you also follow the U.S. closely. Um, so what do you think of it from from both sides of the equation? I agree that the soccer wasn't great, uh, but I thought it was really like a there's a lot of anxiety around the game. Like every touch was really like I just felt like there was a nervousness around this, the stadium. You could see it in the players as well, both sides. Like they, they, I felt like the players were really conscious about not making mistakes. And I think that's typical in the Classico. Now, there were times where the game really opened up and it was back and forth. And I think you saw both teams uh, figure out ways to get down the field. You know, in Mexico's case, they, you know, they realized that down the right side going against Anthony Robinson, they had some success there. But you know, it was pretty 50-50 uh, in the fullbacks. I thought Anthony Robinson w- was pretty good. Uh, and in the end, you know, Zach Steffen wasn't really challenged. You know, the, the one chance that Mexico had when they were, when, you know, Teca Tito Corona was on, you know, one-on-one with, with Zach Steffen and he just has a t- terrible first touch. You know, I think that was a, a sign, a bad omen for Mexico because they, they get around, the, but they're able to get around get into the box, get the ball at the field. But then once they're, you know, they're not clean enough to, to score. They don't have a box dwelling center forward, you know, and I think we all know who that guy could be, uh, you know, Chicharito Hernandez, who's just not going to probably play for this team again. But what something that Tata Martino said that I thought was interesting after the game, and I, and I agree with this, is that he pointed to the fact that uh, Mexico and other matches, specifically the game against the U.S. and Cincinnati, the one reason why they were dominated in that game, especially in the second half, is because they just lost their intensity. They couldn't match the U.S.'s athleticism, the intensity in that second half. And he said several times in his post-game press conference how he, the team talks leading up to this game were all focused on not repeating the performance of the second half in Cincinnati. Like It was a big objective for Mexico to not let the U.S. 
dominate the second half. Don't allow the U.S. to be a second half team. And he was happy with the performance of his his players in Mexico in, in doing so. And so that's a plus for them. But in the end, it, it once again, it's a disappointing performance for Mexico because they can't score. They got, they they had to win this game just for peace of mind. It's not a fourth consecutive loss to the U.S., but it's not a win either. And so it doesn't help Tata Martino's popularity in Mexico, as as as, as Sam said. That you know the Fuera Tata chants were were pretty loud towards the end of the game. Uh, but I agree with him in that, like his players were were pretty locked in. They I just think at times they were too safe and the, the too a bit too methodical at times in possession. Uh, but you know they they walk away with a point and they're still on the way to Qatar. Yeah, big picture for Mexico. It's it's not looking too bad. I thought I thought they had some good performances from some guys. Vasquez, the right back, I thought did a really nice job against Pulisic. I thought he did a nice job getting forward as well. Sanchez, the match. Sanchez, Sanchez. I keep doing Sanchez. that. <laughs> it's two in the morning here, guys. Sorry it's about good. that. Well, but you brought him up, so let's let's talk about that because Tata. That was a big quote. Tata described Jorge Sanchez, who. Um, you know, I think he's a good right back. Remember, he started as a center back; he's a converted center back. But he, he, his matchup was Pulisic. Clearly, he knew for months that he was going to face Christian Pulisic at the Azteca. And Tata Martino said tonight, Jorge Sanchez was Mexico's best player, and he won his battle with Christian Pulisic by a wide margin. And he didn't dunk on Pulisic. He later said, and this is a player that can score whenever he wants, referring to Christian Pulisic. But clearly he gave his oh. right back a lot of props. <laughs> Not in the <laughs> 35th know? minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so, and I think just tactically, real fast, like both coaches commended each other, which I think is still like an interesting narrative between the two. You know, Burhalter says opening up, he's like, hey, the way they set up, uh, you know, d- didn't allow the U.S. to pressure the way they wanted to. And then in two occasions, I found an interview later off the field where Tata said, like, I know Greg. I've known him since his Columbus days. His teams are good. And we're very similar in a lot of ways, not as coaches, but the teams. Um, and so he respects, they respect each other. But I think clearly, you know, tonight was a game that both coaches really wanted. They really wanted the three points. I want to jump in real quick, Felipe, to go back to something you said earlier, which I, I found notable about kind of what struck me about Mexico's performance tonight that surprised me a bit, which is that they weren't very aggressive at all. There were multiple moments in the game, especially in the second half, when you could start to see the toll of the altitude on both teams, right? And at one point, it really took hold probably around the 75th minute and the game just started to open up because guys were totally gassed on both teams and it led to some really poor defending and some sloppy turnovers and transition moments. But in the 15 minutes even before that, from about the hour mark on, um, I thought there were some moments where Mexico was pushing numbers forward and had that space in midfield because the U.S. was dropping into a, a lower block. And, and yet... As the moment a player would step out, Mexico would turn and play backwards and kind of reset. And the fans were getting frustrated. They were booing and hissing and whistling. And it just didn't feel like a typical U.S.-Mexico game. And and actually in the first half, Felipe, you and I were talking about it. It was, it was almost like Tata had said, hey, let's slow this game down. Let's play a little bit of soccer. Make the U.S. play. They don't want to play. They want to run, transition, high intensity. 
And I thought that really helped them in the first half. But in the second half, it was too conservative. And they lacked that bite, that aggressiveness that I thought would have tilted the scales more towards them and the home team in that portion of the game. And, And I think that allowed the U.S. to stay in things and and, you know, not too long after to have that great chance for Peacock that he wasn't able to put on goal. Um, but I, I thought that Mexico kind of opened the door to what ended up happening, which was a, a positive result for the U.S. I agree. I agree. We were, we were watching the game. And I've watched a lot of games, uh, not at the Azteca, but, you know, on TV when they play at the Azteca. And they come out, uh, the last few qualifiers at home, they've Mexico's come out completely on the front foot and then they just run out of gas in the 35th minute so that's probably where tata martino was you know in the months leading up to this game watching the film and saying okay we can't do that let's not do that and i think there was a fear honestly to your point paul that you know if, if you get in a running transition game with the u.s like you you might you're probably going to lose that game they don't you know, mexico doesn't have those players in the middle of the field that are going to chase look at gio reyna's crazy maradona run it was great, great skill. But look at Mexico's defenders. Edson, Edson Alvarez could not even run anymore. He couldn't keep up. Guys were diving in. Uh, Ache Ache was just completely done. And so, in the end, uh, Tata yesterday, or last, or, I'm sorry, tonight also said that you know a lesson learned and and, a, and still an area of improvement is breaking down teams that come to the Azteca and sit back. It's a problem that every team deals with, but clearly he was referring to what happened towards the end of that game where the U S was like content to, you know, just kick the ball long and defend and, and watch Mexico frustrate themselves. And so that, that was the sort of like how the the game ended. And that's why when the final whistle blew, the Azteca just erupted with whistles. And it was a pretty productive end for the U S MNT in that way. Right. It wasn't, I think, ideal circumstances. It was kind of a bizarre situation. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to ask Greg Berhalter about it in the postgame press conference. It was a weird one. A lot of audio issues tonight. <laughs> um, but it looked like Yunus Musa was coming off around like the 78th minute. And then there was like a weird delay. And it looked like maybe they were changing who was coming off. And then DeAndre Yedlin seemed to be cramping up. And he came off. And Eric Palmer Brown, not a right back comes in and the U.S. shifts to a five-man back line with Aaron Long entering as well as the third center back um, and Eunice Musa staying on the field um, despite being very visibly gassed himself. Um, but I thought the U.S. did a good job. I thought that change actually was relatively effective in slowing Mexico. Um, there were a couple of chances that they had um, after it, but I thought they were coming, coming a little bit more fast and furious before the switch. Um, so I think it stemmed to the tide a touch. Um, but I did want to ask you guys, I didn't want to talk about that kind of the substitutions for the U S there was so much talk about rotation going into this game and will Burhalter save some of the big guns for Panama and rest them and, and make sure that everyone's good to go for that match. He did not do that. He, he rolled out the A team, right? Pulisic and Wea, Adams, uh, Musa, uh, the regular back four, so on and so forth. He also said in the lead up to this game that he was going to use all five subs. He did, but he used three of them after the 80th minute. So you're not getting a lot of rest for a guy like Adams who comes off in the 80th or Pulisic who came off in the 84th. Um, so it's not it's not a huge, huge break there. This was a physically taxing game. So it's going to be curious to see how it pans out um, 
and what the ramifications of that are on Sunday, because that could really go a long way towards the trajectory of this window and really of the entire cycle. Um, so, I mean, what did you guys think about the decision in the first place? And then what did you think about the substitution patterns? Yeah, I, I was surprised a bit by the decisions. Just when you look at the personnel of who was missing, you know, no Weston McKinney, obviously, Brendan Aronson and Serginho Dest. To me, I think that the way that impacted the depth chart, I felt like kind of forced, was going to force Greg Berhalter's hand. And, and I thought starting a guy like Paul Areola especially made a lot of sense in trying to save Tim Weah's legs, hopefully limit the number of opportunities he could get a yellow card, which he ended up doing, and give you more options for Panama. That being said, I think we saw tonight that Gio Reyna can certainly come in and make a big impact as a winger or as a number eight. I think, you know, Greg Berhalter has options in that he can play Gio Reyna as a winger. He can bring Luca De La Torre on uh, in a central role. The question is going to be, you know, what does Kellen Acosta look like? Can he play again? What is, you know... I, Do you I think, think he's even going to be in that discussion? I don't really see him. I don't know. I, I just don't know now with Wea out what you do. I mean, maybe you play yeah. Ariola and you play Gio Reyna and Luca De La Torre, which is what I thought the, the two number eights were going to look like in the Panama game. And you just you stick Paul Ariola on the wing and you tell him to run and press and, and try to make runs in behind. Um, Shaq Moore is going to start it right back. He's already in Orlando. He got called in. Yeah. Interesting decision there to go with Shaq Moore instead of Joe Scally. Uh, Shaq Moore is older. He's more experienced at the national team level. Maybe that's what gave him the nod. I, I don't really know. But I, I thought it was an interesting – I mean, Greg Berhalter even said, you know, he intended and wanted to get Tyler Adams off in the 60th minute, and he didn't feel like he could do that. And I actually think for the game itself, that was yeah. the right call. He couldn't yeah. take Tyler Adams off. He was too important in breaking things up. So, you know, in on the night, I thought he made the right decisions with the subs. I think it leads to some interesting questions, but I think we'll end up seeing Luca De La Torre, Gio Reyna, Paul Ariola, Shaq Moore starting in Orlando. I think you're probably right. Speaking of breaking things up, let's take a quick break and we'll come back after with more talk about this game and, you know, maybe eventually looking ahead to the weekend as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, breaking down the U.S. is 0-0 draw. I almost called it a 1-1 draw. It has been a long couple of days here in Mexico City. Great couple of days, but I'm, I'm tired. Um, Felipe, uh, you did not get to talk about the substitutions. Tata Martino did not make many. Uh, he took a long time to make them. Um, not having one come on, I think, until the 75th minute. 
Um, so you have some thoughts there. I know on both ends of the spectrum for both teams. So give them to us. What you got? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys went over Berhalter's pattern there. And I think, you know, I was watching the game from our perch in the press area. Way I, up I, there. Way, way up, up there. there. They look like ants. But I felt like Berhalter was honestly, like, going for the win. And so was Tata. But in different ways. Tata's way of going for the win is to not change. <laughs> is to, like, stick to his starting 11 and push them to the brink until they get the goal. And finally, in the 75th, when it's not happening, he brings in a sub. He takes out Charlie Rodriguez. He brings in Guti, you know, the, the left-footed central midfielder uh, who plays for PSV, who I think is a really classy midfielder. He was okay. Right away, he sent a guy through on the right, hand, on the right flank that turned into a chance. Um, and Alexis Vega came in, and, you know, they had a little bit more activity up front, but uh, you know, th- all week you're talking about Burhalter and his subs and don't burn the guys because Panama is a big game. And I think on the flip side, you know, these two games for Mexico now are still huge. I mean, they're, they're winnable games at Honduras and at home to El Salvador. But, you know, for a coach that doesn't like to rotate much like Tata, you know, like he really set his players up today to, to really run out of gas. And they're, they're going to have a tough recovery, I think, going to Honduras, which won't be easy. Um, and, but, but again, I think overall, it was just interesting to see these two coaches who know each other so well. And I would look at Tata when every time Burhalter would bring on another sub and like bring him up to the touchline and talk to him, Tata would look over and like, I don't know if he's trying to listen to the conversation, but I was just probably thinking like Tata's like, I'm not making a move yet. You know, like I see you making moves. I'm not going to make my move yet. And he was just holding and holding and holding until finally he starts making moves in 75th that, you know, were they good substitutions? You know, probably not because they didn't affect the game in a positive way for, for Mexico. But uh, perhaps if he would have made them earlier, you know, it's, it's too hard to tell with the way that game was played. Yeah. I personally thought he should have made some earlier. I thought Mexico was flagging a little bit for five, 10 minutes before he made the changes. And then just the uptick in energy changed things a bit for them. Obviously it didn't result in a goal, um, but I think I turned to Paul or you, Felipe, up up there in the, in the clouds at Azteca, and I was like, "What is it? How come he hasn't made a change yet? Like, what's and going Paul, on?" And then, and then Paul said, "Where's Diego Linus?" Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's true. Like, what? Bring him on. Yeah, like, exactly. just do it. And he did eventually. And Linus didn't really make much of an impact at all. Um, but yeah, one other topic I wanted to discuss with you guys is the actual stadium itself. It was. 50k capacity which is i don't know 50 60 percent somewhere in there i think the full capacity is 87k these days i'll let you do the math at home listeners um 50k capacity and that isn't due to covid restrictions or anything like that but it's so mexico can really get a handle on on the homophobic chant that they've had so many issues with over the years and that has caused them to play qualifiers behind closed doors and so they're doing this kind of facial id recognition program and you have to sign up and it's whole thing to get tickets to these games um It was a very late arriving crowd. You know, we heard rumors in the press box that the trains weren't running properly to the stadium, which probably caused some issues and the traffic was brutal. So that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, But the stadium itself has changed a lot. And, you know, this was all of our first trip to the Azteca for a match and for a qualifier like this. But when I think about the Azteca and the USA Mexico qualifier and Linez didn't play, I am all over the shop in this podcast. Um, I could have sworn I saw his hair out there at some point. That I'm, that was Guti. That was Guti. Man, Gu- I'm just uh, Eric Gutierrez. Was similar, I at this game? 
Who knows? <laughs> uh, Felipe is just showing me up here on the show. No, I'm kidding. Um, but when I think of the Azteca, I think of like those old qualifiers that are played in the middle of the day and the fans are right on top of you and they're screaming and throwing things on the field and so on and so forth. This was not that, like not even close. It got loud in there a few times. Um, but a lot of the game, like normal play, regular run of play when neither side was like pushing or having a chance, the USMNT supporters were louder than the Mexico fans. Um, and I thought that was, I tweeted it out. It wasn't a sentence I ever expected to write. <laughs> That's for sure. But what did you, what did you, I mean, what, this was all of our first experiences. So Paul, what, what did you think of it? I mean, yeah, I, I was disappointed. I think for my first Azteca experience, I, I was already going to be disappointed. I wanted it to have full capacity and get the true Azteca experience. But you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the U.S. playing in Nashville. Yeah, you're in a huge stadium. You have good numbers. I think they had 40,000 plus in Nashville for that game against Canada. But in the, when you look up and you see empty seats everywhere, it doesn't feel like 40,000. And this didn't feel like 50,000. And and then the, the energy was lacking in the crowd, just like it was in Nashville. And the, the MC, the PA announcer, was trying to get the crowd going, just like they were in Nashville. And so it never really felt hyped. And for us, that you know, we've been fortunate enough, Sam, you've been at every qualifier. I missed El Salvador, which was one of the best atmospheres to be in. But Honduras, Panama, I thought were like legit atmospheres. And I know El Salvador yeah. was, was even more intense. And this felt like it didn't really have that same intimidation factor no, and not and, even close and that's just the reality it just it wasn't for me it was not a daunting experience for the team no not at all felipe you have anything to add there no i, I agree 100 percent. i was really stoked about going to the azteca uh i think the whole time your my excitement was tempered when i would remember that it was going to be fifty thousand people now we we know why you know the, the FMF, the Mexican Football Federation, has gone to great lengths to try to eradicate the homophobic chant. They've implemented, they paid up, they've spent a lot of money on awareness campaigns, branding campaigns, uh, and they've implemented the fan ID. You know, even before the the stadium violence in Querétaro in January, it was already announced that they were going to do this for national team games. Uh, and it was an extreme measure because they now know they've announced that fans that that you know, use the chant and that are caught doing it will be banned from future national team games. We all heard the chant when we were there. Uh, they tried to mask it with the stadium PA announcer, you know, screaming Mexico, Mexico during goal kicks. But it's what we were talking about before even the game started. I think we were with Marcelo Balboa today at brunch. It's like. How do you control that? It's like if if Mexico isn't playing well, the fans are going to get upset. One of the ways that they show how upset they are is using that chant. It's not an excuse. It's not a valid excuse. You can't justify it, but that's the truth. And so they're in a tough place as a federation. And that became the highlight of the night as far as the fan reaction. I, I agree. It got loud at times, but it wasn't the same. I don't think the U.S. were intimidated by the Azteca at all you know it, it, it's not it's not that type of atmosphere anymore and so in that sense really I think the players that were under more pressure at the Azteca were Mexico's players they're the ones Zero that are doubt. 
I mean, it's it's clear as day. You can see it on their faces. You can see it how they in the way they play at times in the game. Uh, and so that that's that's something that they have to fix. They need to flip that and turn that stadium back around to what it used to be, which was this massive fortress that they just won at every single time. For sure, uh, Felipe, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with Tata Martino and how he may not be traveling to Honduras for Mexico's next game? Yeah. So at the end of the game. Uh, shortly after the final whistle, uh, two two Danny reporters, Gibran um, Araje and Anacati Hernandez, who were the, the top reporters of the Mexican national team at two Danny, they both reported that Tata Martino would not make the trip to Honduras on Sunday due to a health issue. Um, after I fished through the internet and talked to a source, uh, the source was like, ah, I'm not sure. I don't know if he was just trying to protect Tata, but ESPN Mexico later said, that the same, the right eye that he had uh, retinal detachment surgery on in, in last September, which forced him to miss two qualifiers against Costa Rica and Panama, uh, he's experiencing discomfort. In the lead up to the game tonight, he was experiencing discomfort. And so tonight, as we're recording, it's still not official that Tata Martino is not going to travel to Honduras, but it seems like he's not going to travel. They're going to assess this in the morning. But it's such a delicate situation. If you travel, if you get in an airplane with that sort of discomfort, the the consequences are severe. Like you can you could lose his eyesight. So it's it's an interesting situation for Mexico because at the same time they're chanting, get this guy out of here. And now he's not gonna be there again. And it's so we're it's like pick your poison here, Mexico fans. Like uh, it, it's just leading to this relationship that I think is completely fractured between Martino and the fan base. And that's, I think you go around the national, national teams around the world and you see that a lot. You see that in the U S with Berhalter. There's an element of it with Berhalter. Yeah. yeah. So, and so I was telling Sam, it's like, he's not trying to win a popularity contest here. Tata Martino is trying to win games, but still him not being there on Sunday in a crucial game is a pretty, is, is massive news. Yeah. Um, well, it'll be interesting to follow that story and see if he shows, see if he doesn't. And if he doesn't, see if they can, you know, kind of get the goals flowing in a way that they haven't in quite some time. <laughs> um, guys, I don't know if you if you have any other like kind of parting shots, any final words that you want to add on this match. Um, please do so now uh, before we take a quick break and, and look ahead towards the rest of this window as qualifying really comes into focus and we're getting to the business end and and, and fates are going to be decided on Sunday, most likely, um, at least some, uh, for whether or not teams are going go to go to Qatar. So any, any final thoughts, Paul, Felipe, my, on the match? My, my last thought is just I think that that was the last that we'll see of Jordan Peapock in Oof. 2022. Oof. No, no, well, I mean, I don't, th- I don't think you can ever say never with the strikers in the U.S. men's national team. When, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of agree with Paul. Like that was a Josh Sargent sort of performance, where it, like it was it just awful. cleans you out of the. It gets like gets you off the radar but, completely. But if you're if you're starting a guy who hasn't scored in his last seventeen appearances and more than nine hundred minutes on the field, like they did with Ricardo Pepe, I think the door is open for anyone that can that can try and Look, take it. I could be proven wrong on Sunday. I could be proven wrong yeah. on Wednesday if the U.S. qualifies on Sunday. They could be like, Jordan, go on out there, enjoy it, you know? Sure. But that performance tonight was was. Poor. It was bad. 
It was poor. Not just the miss, which was really bad, but he, he can't run. He, he can't do the things that you need to do. And defensively, he was a liability at a time when you needed that striker to be pressing and, and running and causing problems where he could. He And it, I don't think it was for lack of effort. I think it was he just is – that's not what he does. It's not what he's capable of doing, and it hurts So who US. should have come on? Who, was that a Berhalter No, I mean, I think, I think the reason you bring him on is because you, you hope to, to get a set piece. That's how he scores. He scores a lot of headers. He, he brings size in the box. You probably hope you get a corner or a free kick, and, and maybe he can get a head on it like he did against Honduras in Nations League semi. That wasn't a set piece, but it was a header. And at the end of the day, he put himself in position to score a goal from six yards out. And yeah. he just didn't. I mean, that's the thing is like all these people, like I saw Mike McGee tweeted, like if you have a beef with the coach after this, like I just have no way of communicating with you. Because he was like, you know, Mike's point was like, I thought the strategy in the lineup worked to what Greg Berhalter wanted out of it. I mean, the U.S., they had a chance to win. So, you know, I, I have I, I get why he put Peacock out there. He had the chance to score the goal, the game winner. Missed it, and I just feel like when I looked at that performance overall, I'd rather see Pepe try to get confidence back. I'd rather see Jesus Ferreira try to show that he can be a number nine. I I, I wasn't in love with PFOG going into this game, and I am certainly not in love with him after this game. I mean, I agree with everything you said. I'm just never saying never with a number nine on the U.S. men's national team. <laughs> uh, that's the unfortunate state of that position at this moment in time. I wanted to give a shout out to Walker Zimmerman. I thought he was pro- one of the best U.S. players tonight. Um, his continued emergence and sustained success throughout this qualifying cycle um, it's one of the bigger stories and simultaneously one of, I think, the most underreported stories of, of the entire Ocho. For the U.S., but he's locked down. Like you trust him now against the big strikers, um, and that's that's huge. And he was huge again tonight. I thought he was I thought he was quite good. Um, Felipe, uh, sources tell me that you have a take on Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just thought he was disappointing, and, and not in a like what a terrible performance type of way. I just think there was a lot of expectation leading up to this game with Christian Pulisic. He's scoring in the Champions League again for Chelsea, playing well starting it's like he earned that spot again uh and he has looked good in those games like playing uh, up in 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 the pocket behind the nine as a second striker getting in the box being dangerous being creative earning fouls like he's doing that at the highest highest level and tonight i i he looked just flat you know right away in in the game he had a couple moments where he could Whenever he would get off the sideline and just kind of cut inside, he's difficult to handle. They had to bring him down. He had that uh, but, one in the, in, I think it was in the first half, yeah. where where Edson or Ache 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 got the yellow for the takedown on him, and Edson couldn't touch him. I think. Yeah, and um, and we we all commented that when he would get to the sideline, the Mexicans would just corral him. They would take two guys and not let him get out of that. And then he just couldn't chase. Too. Yeah, like it was like they played in. He played into their strategy of how to contain him. Uh, and I don't know what happened on that miss if he got injured, but af- even after that, it just hit his, his physicality dropped completely. Uh, and he just looked like a, like a flat performer tonight. So I think that yeah. from fans, a couple fans were DMing me. Like I thought Pulisic was, 
was was bad or he was he just didn't perform and that's the guy that fans want to see that's the guy that that people travel for and pay for and he just didn't have his his best performance in a big match i feel like something happened on that collision uh, on the chance that that he went down he was down for about a minute after he hit, collided with ochoa um because he was not anywhere near as active i don't think after that he wasn't having a ton of success before but he was getting the volume right he was he was he was doing a lot there were a lot of actions and he didn't have that really afterwards um so I, i'm curious to see if he's able to go on sunday because he put in a lot of work tonight too um i would expect that he will but you know we've been surprised before uh Anyway, one last break, and then we'll look ahead towards the rest of the window, kind of outline some scenarios. Qualifying is maybe on the doorstep for the U.S. and for Mexico, for that matter. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back. Final segment from Mexico City. Sam Stasco, Paul Tenorio, Felipe Cardenas. We've talked at length about the U.S. and Mexico's nil-nil draw at Estadio Azteca. We have not really touched on much of the other action that happened around CONCACAF this evening, particularly in the two matches that mattered for the standings. And Paul, I'm just going to throw it to you, man. In the battle of our ancestral homelands, you emerged victorious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, take, I think... I Take think, your victory lap. Yeah. Come on, get in there. Look, what's happening in Costa Rica is tremendous. Um, Costa they, Rica beat Canada 1-0. They, they beat Canada 1-0 to stay alive for a World Cup spot. They moved into fourth over Panama. And what we've seen is a manager who came in Got to know the pool, a Colombian manager. We want to talk about heritage. All three represented now. Luis Fernando wow. Suarez. Hell yeah. And he at first he came in and he was doing the same things that previous managers had done, the mistakes they were making, depending too much on older players. And and he's still calling these older players in. They're still there. Borges scored today. But there was a shift. <laughs> there was a shift in how, how they were being used, when they're being used. Even though I don't agree that they should always be used, Ruiz scored a winner now, and Borges has scored a winner now in important games. But there there has been a shift towards more of the domestic talent in Costa Rica, some of the up-and-coming players, and we've seen the results change dramatically for Costa Rica to the point that it's, it had a huge impact on the U.S. because it made their qualification path more difficult because Costa Rica was is, is there, right? But I, I thought it was... Um, an, a good result. It's very difficult to beat Costa Rica in Costa Rica. I think Canada learned that. Didn't help Mark Anthony Kay getting a red card. Jonathan David hit the post late. They nearly pulled out the draw. Um, but huge opportunity now for Costa Rica to go to El Salvador and get another result and put themselves in the driver's seat to at least go to the playoff. And and that's and I think 
I think when you look at the way things have changed over the last couple windows, that they are they are the team that deserves to to end up being the fourth Concacaf team. Something wow. like I I, re- I heard today on on Mexican uh, TV a post game show. Costa Rica have ever in thirteen of the last fifteen points, something wild like that. I mean that to point to Paul's point, like they're trending up and they're fighting for that fourth spot. I mean they're they're only three points away from the U.S. and Mexico. So without their incredible. best striker, their best striker in the pool refuses to play for this manager because when he first came in, he kind of disrespected him. Ugalde, who is a City Football Group player, he's playing in Holland. And he didn't like the way the manager spoke about his performance, the way, especially the way he treated him as a young player compared to another player on the team. And he was right. And these rifts form and stuff, but like they're doing this without necessarily all of their best players. And I just think that it, it's it's really interesting. It could end up being like a perfect scenario for me as uh, an American reporter who would like to go to the World Cup to cover the U.S. and and. You know, someone who who got laid off last time the U.S. missed the World Cup. I don't want that to happen again. But also as someone in Costa Rican, <laughs> I, I was worried that I couldn't have the best of both worlds. I was getting texts from my dad. My mom and dad are in Chicago with my wife and kids while I'm on the road. And my dad was texting me all happy about Costa Rica's result on a group text with my mom. And I, I didn't want to be like, oh, like, mom, like, do you know that you should be rooting against Costa Rica right now? Um, <laughs> like, I didn't know if there was going to be a scenario where both teams could could accomplish what they want to accomplish. But I, I do think that's the possi- a strong possibility out of this window now. I, I think there's a chance that, that the U.S. and Costa Rica both um, are in the top four. And, and you know, it, it really comes down to, I think, Costa Rica getting it done in El Salvador. Well, let's let's break down the scenarios a little bit. Let's let's do some math on a podcast. It's the dream right here. Canada remains in first place. The, the loss to Costa Rica that they had, first loss of the Ocho for them, um, by the way, just to kind of drive home how impressive their campaign has been. They have 20 t- 25 points. USA and Mexico tied on 22 points. USA has a goal difference that is three better, plus nine to plus six than Mexico's. Costa Rica in fourth with 19. Panama, really disappointing draw against Honduras tonight for them. Um, they were in fourth place. They have now been leapfrogged by Costa Rica. They're in fifth with 18 points. Um, so they have some work to do. They obviously are coming to the U.S. on Sunday. If the U.S. wins that game, they're basically in. Um, even if Costa Rica wins, the U.S. would be significantly ahead of them, presumably, in goal difference. They're plus seven ahead of them in goal differential right now. Um, So if they both win, maybe that maintains, maybe Costa Rica cuts into it by a goal or two. Um, The best Costa Rica would be able to do if they beat the U.S. in that last game is tie them on points. And unless they can make up that current margin of of seven in goal difference over the next two games, they would finish behind the U.S., which would mean that the U.S., if they beat Panama, they cannot be caught by Panama, um, would not be able to be caught. Um, and they would finish in the top three and qualify. So that those are the stakes for the Americans. Canada is in a great, great spot. Um, they just need a point from their last two matches to clinch a berth. They might not even need that. If Costa Rica dro- doesn't win out, uh, Canada can lose both of their games and still qualify. Even if Costa Rica does win out, pa- Canada can lose both of their games. They'll probably still qualify because their goal difference is 11 better than Costa Rica's right now. So Canada 
even with the loss tonight, in great position. And Mexico in good position as well. Mexico should be peeking over their shoulders a little bit more, though. They're only plus yeah. four over yeah. Costa Rica in goal differential. Yes. So. so if they slip, if Mexico slips up um, in Honduras, which you know you wouldn't think they would, but Honduras coming off a good result um, and playing at home. So you never know what can happen yeah. uh, if, if they slip up. I asked Alex, our Alex Adnos, our editor, who is just a chart maker master guy. I didn't want to look at, I didn't even want to look at his table, but so I just asked him, okay, what does Mexico's do the math for me? And I won't go through everything, but a win at Honduras essentially guarantees the playoff for them. A win at Honduras and a Costa Rica tie or loss, they're in the world cup, a tie at Honduras plus a Panama win and a Costa Rica win. They're going to they're guaranteeing the playoff. If they lose to Honduras and Panama loses, they're also in the playoff. Another way to go direct right away is to tie at Honduras and have Panama draw and Costa Rica lose and Mexico's in the World Cup. So there's like way more chances for Mexico to go to the World Cup than to be eliminated. But it's just, it's still too tight. And, you know, in Mexico, I'm just listening to all these postgame shows and they're talking like they're in the World Cup. And not in an arrogant way, but even on the postgame presser, one of the questions like, Tata Martino, Professor Martino, we're going to Qatar, but, you know, and then they just sort of ripped on the <laughs> performance. But it's like they see themselves in the World Cup already. Uh, and, you know, they're not there yet, but they're really close. Now, the last thing I'll say about the U.S. and their upcoming matches, I just I think the game at Costa Rica is going to be way tougher than the game they just played tonight at the Azteca. I would agree 100 percent with that way tougher no doubt and 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 in every sort of all the factors the crowd the stadium the team the stakes everything is going to be way 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 tougher for them and that's why they have to get it done at home against panama and 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 the path is a bit easier now you get a draw against panama and you are guaranteed fourth place so that that relieves at least a bit of pressure going into costa rica Obviously, a win would be more would be ideal, and Costa Rica dropping points in El Salvador would be the best case scenario for the U.S. But I do think that you can take a little bit more of a breath going into the Panama game and knowing that you know the worst case is losing, but that you have a little bit more wiggle room. But you have to think still that that is a must win game on Sunday because you do not want to go to Costa Rica needing to get a win in order to finish third because it's hard to win there period it's hard to win there and especially right now U.S. has been terrible there historically just like they've been terrible historically in Mexico Um, so going there needing a result that's nightmare fuel and Sam I don't know if we've Sam I don't know if we've even said it on on this while we're recording but I mean the draw here at the Azteca for the Americans uh, I mean it was a big result for them. You know, it is, it was like, you know, there's, what did Berhalter say? Positive disappointment. Uh, you know, then we had Gio Reyna and Pulisic, like having a good time on the presser. Like yeah. clearly Giggle that, party it, with those two. <laughs> they were giggling on the presser. So, but I just think it, it, it communicates <laughs> now we're giggling this, on a podcast. This, the draw at the Azteca was big for the U S the draw for Mexico at the Azteca was not, 
but we're talking about the U.S. right now, and it was a huge result for them because they can now start to manage and the cliche of controlling your own destiny. Uh, but clearly, even though the game wasn't great, it wasn't sexy, it got messy at times, it was just a tough game to play if you're a player. For the U.S., they come out with a point. Yeah, and a good point, and a resilient point, and one that they should be proud of, if not completely overjoyed by, but it puts them one significant step closer to the ultimate goal of qualifying. And and that's really the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Not what some fan in Nebraska or what three Jamokes on a weirdly named podcast think about it. Um, so anyway, I think with that, guys, I'm going to close this episode out. This has been Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, joined by my buddies, Felipe and Paul. It's been a pleasure, guys. Mexico City, legendary place. Um, and this show, you know, legendary, probably not. But um, shout out to Diego Linez. Hopefully you can sit off the bench sometime soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been Allocation Disorder. We'll be back on Sunday, uh, maybe with a World Cup qualification episode. How about that? Um, until then, uh, thanks for listening.